Thank you so much for having me this morning. I feel incredibly privileged and the huge blessing of bringing you some thoughts this morning at such an incredibly pivotal time in your journey as a church. Just I feel the significance all over it, so I feel very excited to bring you something. And can I just say, you are amazing. Churches don't do what you're about to do, at least most of them don't. <laughs> and we've been part of one that has, but our leaders were told in no uncertain terms that to go and plant a church in a deprived area of the city was a recipe for complete disaster. But 10 years on, that church has grown, it's planted out other churches, and it's thriving. So go for it, guys. And as a little illustration, it's said that when wild geese fly over farmyards on their great migrations, and I think we've got a wild goose picture, they call out to the domestic geese below as if to say, come and join us, come on our great adventure to the breeding grounds of the north, come, follow us. Our leader is strong and he sets the pace. He knows his way. Fly with us. Rise above the world. See mountains flowing beneath your wings. And the domestic birds below cry back and they rise on their feet and they flap their wings. And they say, wait, wait. And some of them will take to the skies and join. But others have had their wings clipped or they just choose the comforts of the farmyard that's familiar, where they're warmed and they're fed, but they never see the Himalayas or add to their numbers in the vast gatherings of the breeding grounds. You are a missionary people. You are flying with the wild goose Jesus to a new adventure, and I think it's really exciting. So as you do this and as you tell the stories, others are going to be inspired to follow suit. So please don't stop being wild gooseish. And as I thought about what to bring you today, I thought about things, stories of movement, transition, change, um, and had those kinds of images coming to mind. But the more I looked at it, the more I felt led to, to a much more, less fluid image. And that is the image of the rock. And I can't help feeling that our amazing God wants to show you how he is absolutely secure, your refuge, your stronghold, the unchangeable one that's been reflected in so many of our songs this morning. He's trustworthy, and he goes with you through any change. And that as you go through that, your story, your testimony of his faithfulness grows. And that's what I want to talk about today. So let's just take a minute. We're going to just write some words on the flip chart. Um, so lots of participation, please. Um, what comes to mind when you think of the word rock or stone? The other descriptors, other adjectives, shout some out. Any words? Solid, perfect. <laughs> this is solid, yeah. <laughs> solid, anything else? Immovable. Tall. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> oh, we're coming over here. Im immovable and tall. Anything else? Old, yes, definitely. Incredibly old, aren't they, Rock? I love that we've got visual aids here as well. Anything else? Yes. Unbreakable. Other words? Anyone who hasn't come up with one yet? 
Heavy, yes. Colourful, beautiful. Permanent, I love that word. Indestructible, very good. I can never spell on a flip chart. <laughs> Go dyslexic just looking at them. In indestructible. Great. Just, we'll just leave these words up here as we explore this topic, and um, they'll just refer for us to come back to. That's great. Can we also put up hard? They're quite hard stones. Great. So God is referred to as a rock many times in the Old Testament, um, and it usually has a meaning of deliverance or, or refuge or safety um, as a part of it. And then also Jesus talks of himself as the cornerstone and the stumbling stone. So I want to take us on a whistle-stop tour, if I can say it, and some of the ways that stones are used as metaphors in the Bible. And then I want us to reflect on what that means for you today in your story. So I've called the talk Stones and Stories. So are you ready for five whistle stops? Great. The first one takes us to Genesis chapter 35 and a man named Jacob. He was a shepherd and a wheeler dealer type. And he was always getting into major trouble with his family and friends because he would cheat them. But despite this, God chose Jacob to be the father of the nation of Israel. And he gave him certain promises. God appeared to him and said to him, your name is Jacob. And it means he clutches or he struggles or he deceives. But you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel, which means God strives or he struggles with God. I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you. Kings will come from your body, Mr. Shepherd Boy. Jacob set up a stone pillar at the place where God had talked to him, and he called it Bethel, the house of God, God present. This was the same place that he'd had his famous dream of the stairway with the angels going up and down. And that point, God had said to him then that, um, that oh, wait a sec. <laughs> so at that point, he promised him blessing. Um, and Jacob put the stone that he'd been sleeping on, his pillow, that was also raised up as a pillar. And he said, this is none other than the house of God. How awesome is this place? It's the gate of heaven. Jacob said of God, when he put these stones up, he answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. His stones testify to a lifetime of God's faithfulness, lasting monuments. So these two stones, these aren't the actual ones, <laughs> are stones that commemorate a new name, a vision for the future, and the faithfulness of the past. And it's called the house of God, the dwelling place of God, the gate of heaven. You have a history like Jacob of God's faithfulness, you as a people. How God has led you and now how he is going ahead of you to East End Park. He'll be with you wherever you go. He has a vision for you. You are his house. You take his presence with you. So we see the testimony 
of God's faithfulness with you, his promise of blessing, and his presence, you as his living house going with you. So we're going to jump forward 400 years. Israel has become a great nation, and they're growing in Egypt to the tune of tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands. They were enslaved, and they cried out to God for deliverance. Moses has led the people out of Egypt with incredible signs and wonders, and now they're in the desert, and Joshua has taken over leadership, and he's about to take them into their promised land. But to get there, they have to cross the Jordan, a river in flood, and there's no bridge. So God gave really precise instructions to Joshua, and he passed them on to the people. The priests were to carry the Ark of the Covenant. We've got the Ark. It's a gold-covered sacred casket that contained the tablets of stone with the Ten Commandments carved on them by the very hand of God, a tangible sign of his presence and favor. That Ark... They were to take into the flooded river and then stand there with the weight of the carrying poles, pressing them into the mud and the stones, the river swirling around their feet, confusing their balance, maybe numbing them. But as soon as their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. And I love how it puts it in the NIV and other other versions, but it piled up in a heap a great distance away. Um, So the people passed by on dry ground as the ark was in the middle of the river, and that included 40,000 armed men. And Joshua sent 12 men back to the middle of the river to pick up a stone from the riverbed. And they carried them on their shoulder to the promised land side, and Joshua set them up at Gilgal on the edge of the promised land. Again, not the actual ones, but there were 12, which I thought was really good. I imagine you couldn't, one man couldn't carry one of those. (laughs) Joshua said, in the future, when your descendants ask, what do these stones mean? Tell them about today. The Lord God heaping up the Jordan, just like he did the Red Sea 40 years ago. Tell the story. Tell it of God's greatness, his faithfulness, his help. And he did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might know that he is to be feared. God's covenant, that's his promise never to leave us or forsake us. Go ahead like the ark does. They always do. You take the risk and you wade out into the current before the miracle takes place. But God honors that faithful act and the waters flowing downstream heap up so that you, the armed warriors, can cross ready to take the land. So stop. And remember this day. Stop and set up stones so that future generations can see the faithfulness of God and the whole world witness his power. Your testimony, God's help and guidance to get you here and to lead you on. His promise, a new land at East End Park. And his presence goes ahead of you. He is there absolutely already. Whistle stop number three takes us to the book of Samuel. And it's another 400 years. Israel has entered the land, grown, built houses, established a community, but they've become lawless and independent. They are ruled by the judges. And Samuel is our current judge in residence. He was a miracle child born of a barren woman. Out of God's compassion, 
He was a prophet. He heard the audible voice of God when he was only a boy. And it was said of him that God would not allow one word of Samuel's to fall to the ground. Twenty years ago, he was there when the great warriors of the Philistine nation defeated Israel not just once, but twice in an utterly devastating battle at a place called Ebenezer. The Israelites were worshipping idols and following their own desires, but they thought that if they took the Ark of the Covenant with them into battle, they couldn't fail to win. But instead, they were bitterly defeated and the Ark was captured and taken from them, a symbol of God's favour, the physical sign of his presence and work among them, the one tangible thing that made them feel special as a people was gone. Twenty humiliating years pass of paying tribute to the Philistines, and although the ark returns to them, the people still mourn their defeat. So Samuel calls for a full repentance, saying, if you're returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of foreign gods. Commit yourself to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So they did. The people gathered. They fasted prayed, cleansed themselves, and threw away their idols. The Philistines heard about their gathering, and they figured, oh, this is a great opportunity. We're going we're gonna to attack. So this beaten and subdued people were terrified. Samuel cried out to God and sacrificed on their behalf, and the Lord answered him. He thundered. Oh, we've gone a bit farther forward. Can we go back a little bit? There's a thundercloud. There we go. He thundered from heaven with such loud roars that the Philistines panicked and fled. There was no battle, but there was a glorious victory and a bloody pursuit, and the Israelites were free. So Samuel set up up a stone, and he called it Ebenezer, which means stone of help, the same name as the place of double defeat, now trumped with glorious victory. And he said, Thus far, the Lord has helped us. The stone of help. Our God, giving us victory where before there's been defeat, calling us back to devotion to him, to the wild goose flight. What cleanup is needed in your house? Just thinking, as you physically clean up this building, as you choose what to take, what to give away, what's important, can you do the same spiritually? As a people, consecrate yourselves, cleanse yourselves for the next great adventure to make sure your hearts are set on Christ alone and not on any earthly thing, even a good and holy thing like the ark was. Again, testimony, the testimony of battles lost and won, promise of victory over your enemies, presence, the presence of God with a cleansed and righteous people made righteous by Jesus. (laughs) And so this leads us forward to our next stop, 800 years now, to Jesus. And in this case, he's not an actual rock or stone, but the living stone. Can I ask a different voice? Ben's going to just read 1 Peter 2, 4 to 12 for us. As you come to him, living stone, rejected by men, but but chosen by God and precious to him, So also you, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 
For in scripture it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion and choose and, and a chosen and precious cornerstone. And one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the capstone. And a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you, as aliens and strangers in the world, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that they accuse you of doing wrong, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. So let's pause and think about this Jesus, our amazing, loving, powerful saviour. He's the embodiment of those previous stones. If we look at these words, he is these things. He is the memorial stone, the testimony of the faithfulness of God who would not even withhold his own son from us in order to draw us to himself. He is the living stone. So he has immovability. He has um, solidity. He was a real human being, flesh and blood. Um, Nothing moved him from his purpose. He sweated blood in Gethsemane, but still went to the cross. He is trustworthy. He's got a permanent and unbreakable. He, He is willing to suffer for the truth and proves his trustworthiness by his life and actions. He is sure. He is dependable. He is final. His work was completed. He has the cornerstone qualities of being the one that shores up the church. The cornerstone was the one stone that was cut perfectly so that every other stone would line up. He shores us up. He keeps pulling us into line. He has the capstone quality. We have another one, I think. Capstone is quite an interesting word. People disagree on the definition. They think it's either the keystone of the arch, that when you put that one in place, it holds the whole archway together, or it's the stone on top. And I think it's probably likely to be the stone on top that then keeps the capstone in place that then keeps everything else in place. So he has that quality because it is him who is the only one that makes us a people. Like, we don't have that much in common otherwise. (laughs) Why would we all be together? But it's Jesus who brings us together, who helps us love one another, and who makes us one. He also has these qualities of hardness, heaviness, unbreakable. Those, Those more difficult qualities. When he talks of himself as a stumbling stone, a rock that makes people stumble. And we know that those who oppose him or who don't believe on him or don't believe, don't set their lives on him, he warns, they're going to be smashed to pieces. They're going to be crushed. Really, really nasty words. 
So our testimony is important. There are people in that place in East End Park and in our neighborhoods and places of work who um, our testimony, God's story to us that climaxes in Jesus, they need it. They need Jesus. They need him, the testimony stone. They need him. He is the promise of salvation fulfilled, never leaving us, never forsaking us. And the presence of God in Jesus made a cosmic leap from the temple, the kind of one place on earth, into the person of Jesus, incarnated God, God made flesh and dwelling among us. He is the presence of God. So our final leap takes us 2,000 years on to us. We have been saved by Jesus and we've become for him a temple. I've got a picture of, I think this is a kind of photoshopped thing, but it's what the temple may have looked like. But the place of worship and witness on earth, no longer a building, but us collectively, not just on our own, but together. The dwelling place for the very presence of God, Bethel, his house. We also are living stones, each one with a unique story made to shine the light of Jesus to this world. And we can only hold together in this temple by his presence, the capstone. We are the testimony to the world of his goodness, faithfulness, and power. Chosen people, royal priesthood, made this way so that we can declare, testify, the praises of him who called out to us, us out of darkness and into his wonderful light. To live such good lives that those who don't believe, who will stumble over Jesus, will see our good deeds and praise God. So we embody collectively the testimony, the story that God is telling this world about himself, about love. It's seen in our unity. The promise for everyone, of full salvation and deliverance. His presence, we are his presence on earth, the church. So how can we apply this now? Well, we're going to do a couple of things. Um, and I'm going to go back to this very churchy word, consecration, because I think it's a rather beautiful one. Consecration, the clean up of the house um, and the making holy of his people. So what, just asking these questions, what needs to be thrown out as you move? What do you want to take the opportunity of re-surrendering at this moment? What idols may have grown up over time that might make you want to stay in the farmyard rather than take to the skies? And for me, well, I have lots, <laughs> but I have a, a strong desire for comfort and security, and it often finds its trust and faith and worship in worldly things, not in God. <laughs> Just was having a silly conversation with my husband this morning about my shoes. I have new shoes. I really like my new shoes. And he said that he thought they'd look better with a different outfit, but I didn't have time to change. So I'm like, I just want to wear my new shoes. I'm wearing them. So you can tell me whether you like them or not later. <laughs> um, but, you know, equally, it could be other new stuff. It could be having the latest gadget. Um, and, and kind of finding ways to justify it, but, but actually... Is it the best um, stewardship? It's always, it could be, but it's always worth asking because sometimes an idol is very subtle. It looks like a good thing, like the ark. It looks like a good and holy thing, but if our hearts are set on something other than God in it, it's an idol. 
So um, just pause and take the chance to say, what, what's grown up? What, what weeds are we going to just pull up now and go forward cleansed and ready? So I'm going to just give you a minute of silence now to just pray quietly on that um, and to just lay those things before God. And if there's something you feel that actually as a church you want to do together, go and talk to your leaders and they can weigh it and decide what to do with that. So I'll, I'll give us a minute of silence and then I'll pray for you and then we'll do our last section. Lord, thank you that you forgive us every sin and you are able to do more in us and for us than we ask or imagine. Thank you that you have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms already poured out on us. That your generosity is lavish. Thank you for your mercy won for us at such cost. Thank you that you cleanse us, lead us, and make us into a holy people by your righteousness alone. Lord, would you cover your precious people at CCL and send them out covered by your grace. Amen. So part two of consecration is also claiming Christ's authority in the land where you are going. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. So where your feet stand, Christ's authority reigns. So as you meet in that school, claim that ground for Christ. As you walk in Eastern Park or indeed in the other places you witness, claim his authority, consecrate the ground, consecrate yourself as you move forward. Um, There's a lovely quote from Frederick Buchner, which says, The place where God calls you is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. And one of those places for you, certainly for you collectively, is East End Park. So may your joy be your strength as you meet the hunger there. Make it a holy place. And the last part of the house cleanup is what do you need to treasure and keep as a people? What is your Ebenezer, your stone of help? What does it look like? What's your testimony to the faithfulness, power, and the promise of God? In this house, we are real. But we also make mistakes. And when we do, we make sure we say sorry. We give second chances to anyone. And we also have lots of fun. In this house, 
we definitely forgive. We also do loud. We give the best hugs. We are family. And in this house, that means we, we love. love.